Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, inspiring health stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TV Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Go ahead and hit subscribe on YouTube, turn on those notifications, and connect with me on LinkedIn because I'd love to stay connected with you. Now, today you are going to meet Dr. Pasquale DeSantis. He is an endocrinologist at Baptist Health. And we are talking about what is insulin resistance? How is it related to weight gain or weight loss? And does it lead to diabetes? This is an interesting topic that my team and I have been talking about and excited to share more about it with you today. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want, it is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. All right. Well, today I'm so excited to introduce you all to Dr. Pasquale DeSantis, who is an endocrinologist with Baptist Health Medical Group. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I definitely would like to know more about you, who you are, where you're from, and why you decided to pursue this path. Sure. So I am, I am an endocrinologist. I, I was born in Venezuela. And I did my medical school there. Uh, and then I uh, moved to the United States and did all my training here in the United States. Uh, I've been working with Baptist for the last five and a half years, I think. Um, very happy. Um, why I chose this path? Um, I always had an interest in um, basic science and research. And endocrinology came up as a good way to sort of come together with the both the clinical aspect basic aspect so it was always very interesting in that sense um and uh i did do research during training and so on and i still every, every once in a while I, I, I get involved in some some research not as much anymore um and uh again it's 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 a good way of uh satisfying both the clinical inquiry and the basic science inquiry at the same time. Interesting. Did you always know um, that you wanted to be a doctor? No, no, not always. <laughs> um, but uh, early on, uh, when I came out of uh, high school, I think I already knew. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, soon after, I already knew that I wanted to be a physician. Well, hey, I'd say that's still that's still pretty early on. Some of us are, are still figuring it out, right? <laughs> yes. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so, okay. So fast forward to now, um, you have mentioned been with Baptist for five and a half years. You're an endocrinologist. Before we, I guess, dive into insulin resistance specifically, can you frame it for us? What is endocrinology? Sure. So endocrinology is a specialty, like any other specialty uh, within the medical uh, sciences, that focuses on diseases that are related to the endocrine system, which is essentially the 
the glands that produce hormones, right? And so we focus on diseases of the pancreas, which is a diabetes, the endocrine pancreas, uh, diseases of the thyroid, pituitary gland, adrenal glands, parathyroid glands. Um, and um, we also have a close relationship with the cardiovascular system. Uh, so we see a lot of people with high cardiovascular risks and so on. So we do a little bit of that as well. Um, and um, we participate in, in, in the general health of the person in relationship to things related to cholesterol and, and some other aspects when you're seeing, for example, a diabetic, not, not in general like a primary doctor, but specifically in diabetics and so on. So it, it, we do more than this, but in a summary, to make it simple, I think this, yeah. is, this is what we do. So we do see people with pathology, with, with diseases and stuff, like, like any other specialty. Okay, so we're going to narrow in a little bit, um, focus a little bit more on specifically insulin resistance. I feel like this is something... I really don't know too much about. Um, so I definitely love to hear from you. What is insulin resistance? Right. So insulin resistance, to keep it simple, it's when your tissues. So first of all, insulin is the hormone that comes out of the pancreas, uh, the endocrine pancreas, that allows glucose to move into the cells, any cell in the body. Okay. So the way the, 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 the food that you eat, right, eventually gets into the cells in the form of glucose, right? And the, the way that transportation of the glucose happens into each one of the cells in your body is mediated by insulin. So insulin is necessary for that transportation to happen, right? Insulin resistance is when those cells in tissues, all the tissues, muscle, liver, heart, and whatnot, they do not respond as they should to the insulin level that is present in the person's body at that point in time. So that is what is insulin resistance. This kind of inability of those tissues to respond to that insulin level. And what that does is it makes the body produce more insulin in order to prevent hyperglycemia. Because when Precisely when, when you don't have the capacity to move glucose into the cell, well, it backs up in the bloodstream. So you, you then have elevated blood sugar because it's not being able to move into the cell. So in order to prevent the increase in the blood sugar, the body produces more insulin to overcome that resistance so the blood sugars do not go up. Okay, So typically, somebody with insulin resistance and, and they don't have diabetes yet, they will have a normal blood sugar at the expense of elevated insulin levels mm. precisely to overcome that resistance, all right? Uh, and that is very intimately regulated. I mean, this complex mechanism by which this, this is a signaling pathways that allow for the body to realize, hey, we need to produce more insulin so that, so that the sugar doesn't build up in the blood, okay? Mm. So classically, um, this is how somebody who has been insulin resistant for many years eventually becomes diabetic. So okay. something that we see quite often in people who become diabetic, that they went through many years of insulin resistance. And in fact, in, in early incipient diabetes, even when the sugar does go up, you tend to see if you were to measure it, we don't typically measure it routinely, but if you were to measure insulin levels in a 
newly diagnosed, incipient, well-controlled diabetic, you're going to see high insulin levels, higher than a normal person. It's just that it's not high enough to, to prevent the hyperglycemia. Mm. But, you know, at that stage. So that's how, because it, this is a continuum, you see, you know, it starts there and then it moves on and so on. And as the diabetic progresses, then, then that capacity of producing more and more insulin now declines. And now that person becomes a little more difficult to control and so on, because this, this overworking of the cells that produce insulin doesn't last forever. Eventually, right. uh, I'm going to use a very uh, a term, very simple, not very scientific. The cells kind of tire up of working right. so much. And eventually you do see a decline in the insulin secretion. That is usually a diabetic that is farther end stage diabetic. Now that person is, has, has, has uh, decreased the capacity to produce it. Now, not everybody with insulin resistance has diabetes. Okay, that was, my ne- that was my next question. Or if it right. leads to diabetes. But it can lead to diabetes, correct. Okay, understood. So what causes insulin resistance, I guess, in, in the medical terms, but then also, you know, would a person feel different? Like, ha- is there a way that people can identify and would, would something would trigger that, hey, I may have this? Well, so what causes insulin resistance is a difficult question to answer because it's not really well understood. We know it is a it is a, a, a an intertwine of uh, or interaction of a genetic predisposition with environmental factors. When I say that is habits, okay, that lead for that insulin resistance to flourish. Or, or that predisposition genetically to flourish. So you can have the same person with the same gene pool and you have them in the Amazon, say, for example, uh, living like, like the indigenous people in the Amazon, right, with the environment over there. And that person there does not develop insulin resistance. But on, you bring that person and you bring them to your States and you have them live the lifestyle of the Western society and whatnot, and you have them drive everywhere, uh, sit all day long in front of a computer, eat the kind of food we eat, and so on. And even when that person is doing their best they can, can mimic the lifestyle of the person in the Amazon. That person develops insulin resistance. And the, the modifiable factor that has intimately been linked to insulin resistance is precisely obesity. Is there a way that people would be able to identify that this is like symptoms that someone would experience um, that would cause them to think that they might have insulin resistance? I think the easy answer to that question is no. Uh, It will not cause any symptoms until the person develops diabetes. And in fact, not only diabetes, but diabetes out of control, right? Otherwise, the person will not experience symptoms. Now, they may see changes that are in parallel to the development of insulin resistance. I want to say these are not... One has to be very careful to clarify that, for example, somebody who's gaining weight, you cannot say, well, I'm gaining weight because I'm insulin resistant. Right. No, you are gaining weight in parallel to the development of the insulin resistance. Mm. So it's happening together. 
because it's a it's sort of a vicious cycle. Uh, the more weight you gain, the more insulin resistance you have. The more insulin resistance you have, and the higher insulin levels, the more weight you gain. So then you come to the question: What was first, the chicken or the egg? Right, well, right. <laughs> remember, I told you about the indigenous person in the Amazon. That person would not develop, but throw in the in the current lifestyle, and then the snowball starts. I don't want people to think that. Well, I'm gaining weight because I'm, I'm insulin resistant, and I, 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 I now I have a, a reason to justify my weight gain. That's not the way it works. Gaining weight because you you are you you are subjected to some habits and a lifestyle that in your particular genetic background is causing this, but you can you cannot blame 100 exclusively right. your gene pool. There is a like I said, it's a two hit hypothesis type of situation okay so i'll ask this question and which was a, a conversation that came up on the team um with hey i am having a hard time losing weight that i've gained i exercise five times a week i've been eating healthy um does that maybe help you know is that a a, a warning sign or a red flag to an individual if they are doing and following through with all the things that they're saying that are healthy it depends on where in that process because this is a process that builds up over a very prolonged period of time Mm. and if you catch this process early on you're gonna have a lot more chance of responding to interventions sometimes when you let this go and you don't do something early on then it's going to be a lot more difficult for somebody because what happens is, remember I told you when you have insulin resistance, your insulin levels go up, remember? So those people tend to live with higher insulin levels even though their blood sugars are okay. It happens that insulin is a lipogenic hormone. So insulin promotes fat deposition. And in fact, it's an anabolic drug, as, uh, not drug, but it's an anabolic hormone as well. Uh, promotes buildup of muscle even, okay? And so, but also promotes fat deposition. So that's why I was talking about this vicious cycle that I was talking about. So the more weight you gain, the more insulin resistant you become, and therefore the higher insulin, the insulin levels that you're going to have, which is going to in turn promote more fat deposition and so on. Mm-hmm. So that type of snowball effect, if you catch it really late, then to reverse that, it is possible to reverse it, but of course it's going to be more difficult. The, the other thing that is important to mention here, because you, you said this person who is exercising, eating healthy, and whatnot. I always would like to put this into an evolutionary perspective, okay? Our body design that we have right now is the result of millions of years of evolution, right? And during that long, very long period of time, humans have been, for the most part, exposed to famine, starvation, um, having to walk everywhere, climb trees, I don't know, hunt, pray, uh, you know, do all kinds of stuff. And specifically, for most of human history, we humans have been subjected to restriction of calories. And so you take that design that is designed to store energy as soon as it's available. And then in the last, what, 100 years or 200 years is when cars and computers and food, the way we eat and whatnot, 
has been available. So you don't change design in evolution in one or 200 years. It takes thousands, if not more, of years for a species to adapt to the new environment and then, right, uh, adapt to that and survive. Mm. Well, you can see where I'm going. You take a design that was designed to, to live in a certain way, say, for example, like the Amazon we were talking about before, and throw it into this, even when you're trying your best, you are comparing yourself to a standard that is already messed up to begin with. <laughs> that is not the standard that this body was designed to live in. Mm. So even when you're doing your best, you may not be mimicking the lifestyle of the Amazon. There is an element of perception here, this is what I'm trying to get at, that, that is already skewed by, by what it's the norm to us, which to begin with is, is pretty bad. Mm. Um, well, that brings up another question. How long would it typically take insulin resistance to develop? You know, I don't know. It, that, that would be very dependent on each individual, each life, each history, each lifestyle, each, each genetic background. That's a difficult question to answer. Uh, I couldn't tell you, but but I can say many years. This is something that doesn't happen. It's not a switch, you know. It's a, okay. it's a continuum. It, it happens over many years. Yeah. Okay. So the people like some of us over here who are like, oh, I gained this thirty pounds in COVID, <laughs> right. and it's having a hard time getting it off. We might not be able to blame this on insulin resistance. Well. Eh- the thing is, is that, like, like I said before, the insulin resistance will happen in parallel to this. Right, right. I don't think you can establish a super clear cause of relationship here. It's a loop here. Yeah. And so, again, like I said before, so, so as, you, as we gained the weight during COVID, insulin resistance was increasing, and then it's, it's, get, it's in the way to lose it, yes. So mm. to reverse that, the insulin resistance is going to be in the way. When people try to use one factor to blame everything on it, usually they're wrong because right. it's not, it doesn't work like that in biology. It's a lot more complex than that. And you're going to see multiple other problems, cytokines, inflammation, and so on, right. which are going to chip in into the, into the mixture. You know? mm-hmm. I have a question about fake sugars, and this might not be related in any way. I just, I will say myself, the reason I'm asking is because myself, I have, uh, you know, I love me a Coke zero, um, (laughs) or using like a Splenda and a coffee or something. Um, and I remember one time a colleague or coworker said to me, well, that causes your insulin levels to spike. I figured I would ask, I don't know. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, I, I, I certainly will not make it spike as much. Okay. okay. There is some, and there might be some pathway by which uh, there there is going to stimulate uh, the release of insulin. I'm sure. Um, again, it's highly complex, but it's not going to be as much as the real sugar. That, that is not to say that drinking those uh, <laughs> fake sugars, as you call them, is uh, healthy. Right. It isn't. I mean, these are chemicals that could have all the potential issues, and, and so on. So I, I would discourage people, you know, to, to, to use those. It's better yeah. to just natural. Sweet, yeah, natural and, and limit significantly the amount of sugar, if not completely. Uh, I, I would uh, advise against those, yes. 
Okay. As far as reversing it, is it, is it really just a matter of healthier lifestyle choices or are there other things that people do implement when trying to reverse insulin resistance? So any, any intervention that you use that will result in weight loss will result in decreasing insulin resistance by the same mechanism. So remember, from a modifiable factor perspective, one of the most, the easiest and most common ones is, is uh, body mass index. So the higher the body mass index, the higher the insulin resistance, the lower the body mass index, the lower the insulin resistance. And you kind of reverse that vicious cycle by losing the weight and doing the exercise and so on. But if you use a chemical or a drug that will result in weight loss, well, it's easy to say, yes, that drug will lead to decreasing insulin resistance. It's easy. Not, the drug itself didn't necessarily do the trick. It's the weight loss that did the trick. In diabetes, we do have drugs that are, you can call them insulin sensitizers, right? Meaning there are drugs that chemically take that person with that genetic pool and that body mass index at that point, and you give it to them and increases the sensitivity of the insulin, uh, of the tissues to insulin. And by doing so, they don't necessarily modify the blood sugar, and yet they lower the insulin levels because the, it makes the body to be able to control the blood sugars with less insulin. We normally use them in diabetes because, like I explained at the beginning, most of type 2 diabetics, especially at the beginning, that's the main dominant mechanism they're going to have. They're going to have a lot of insulin resistance. So you're going to be able to control their blood sugars by increasing the sensitivity of the tissues to insulin so that with the same amount of insulin, they will control the blood sugar. Some of those drugs, uh, well, the classic one, right, uh, that we sometimes use in insulin resistance without diabetes is metformin. Let's say uh, a woman with PCOS who does have a pre-diabetic phenotype or insulin resistance, that's the classic example in which we use metformin. Uh, now, the effect of metformin in terms of weight loss is very minimal. It's not significant, but it does change the metabolic pathways in that person significantly that can lead to improvement of certain things and certainly will decrease the risk of diabetes in the future for that woman. Uh, we sometimes use in pre-diabetics, not, not women with PCOS, but just any pre-diabetic, um, this is somebody who is not quite there in diabetes yet, but is in a pre-diabetic stage. Uh, so that person has already shown some mild elevation of the blood sugar. In that context, that's when we use metformin as well. I mean, this is the drug that has been mo most studied for that. Um, in, in that context, um, it's it's been shown to be second to effective lifestyle modification, but yet it is effective, okay? And then there are drugs, other drugs, other than metformin, that they were initially designed to be used in diabetes uh, that are now FDA approved under a different brand name uh, for weight loss. So this can be used in people without diabetes or pre-diabetes uh, because they do have a label this is not metformin. It's a, uh, there are two drugs, Saxenda and Wegovy, and so on, that are FDA approved to be used in that situation. And essentially, those drugs, they do many things. Like I said before, you can never use one. But one of the things they do is precisely they, in, they, they enhance insulin sensitivity or decrease insulin resistance. In my practice, I don't see people with insulin resistance. 
I see people with the, with the result of insulin resistance. O sea, in other words, I see people who have already been becoming, they have already become diabetic. They have PCOS or they have, you know, that kind of thing. I, I don't ever follow or, 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 you know, intensely evaluate somebody just because they have insulin resistance, but all the rest of the parameters are pristine because what I'm going to tell that person is you need the diet, exercise, and so on. I don't usually use chemicals and so right, on. Right. First, the person to do the effective lifestyle. It sounds like the overarching theme here is really take a look at your lifestyle, right? And and implement some, some healthy measure. I mean, no matter what, whether you have insulin resistance or not, eating healthy, exercising, moving throughout the day, um, you know, not having processed foods or, hey, the fake sugars I mentioned, like eliminating yes. those things are good for all of us regardless. But especially if you do think you are insulin resistant, pre-diabetic, diabetic, etc. So is there anything else around insulin resistance or what you do that you want to share that I, I haven't asked? Well, this, this is an important topic because the fact that I don't see it um, in my regular practice because they, people, people are not sick by the time, it doesn't mean that it's not an important uh, issue. It is a hugely, hugely important issue because it's quite intimately linked with diabetes and cardiovascular risk, okay? Mm. And as you know, you know, uh, there is an epidemic of diabetes. Um, if the trend continues the same by year 2050, one in three Americans are going to be diabetic, right? Wow. Uh, right now, one third of the American population is, di- is pre-diabetic. Wow. More than 100 million people are pre-diabetic. And as such, they do have an increased risk for both diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And the vast majority of those are actually insulin resistant. And, and the ones that are not there yet, not in the pre-diabetes uh, category yet, but are insulin resistant already, are on the way there from the 1950s until now. You can see this steady trend in the body mass index of the, of the American population, mm-hmm. paralleling the, uh, the diabetes diagnosis, again, from the last 40, 50 years so. No wonder why that's going to be the case. We unfortunately live in a lifestyle that is conducive to this. And to fight that, it's very hard. So it's easier said than done. But it's a lot easier than being sick, right? Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Very good. Uh, It is the only choice to really prevent uh, multiple problems in the future when you have insulin resistance. Um, again, we are talking about insulin resistance, but unfortunately, it's intimately related to all these problems. We went all the way from a personal perspective and disease to even the, the sociologic problem we're having of, of this diabetes epidemic and everything else. Hmm. No, I'm glad you brought up that point. And so, you know, the reason I started this podcast, we're just, you know, your episode, I think, will be 104. Uh, so we just oh. have been doing it for over two years and over a hundred episodes. But the reason I started was because I started having uh, weird rashes, autoimmune issues, nothing, something that nobody could diagnose. Um, and I was a 
just very stressed out, not sleeping, had things going on in life that were all at once and hair falling out, pain in my eyes, like weird things, pain in my knee, like things that I couldn't figure out. And, um, you know, got some biopsies and all things were like, Hey, you know, we don't have exact diagnosis, but you're having autoimmune responses. And, um, and that was when I totally changed my eating. I was never very big into processed foods, but very heavy meat eater from my bodybuilding days. Um, and just probably eating and doing a lot of things that were not healthy for me. And, for me, I personally went mainly plant-based and, um, you know, and just started eating whole foods as much as possible. And one of the things that has helped me because, Hey, we're all busy. (laughs) We all don't have enough. And sleep is something that maybe we'll say that for the next, the next one, because sleep, Oh, I would love to talk about, to talk about sleep more because it's, that's a whole nother thing. I'm learning how important that is. But I started just with like doing like 72 ounces of a green smoothie, kale, spinach, some fruit in it. And like, at least for me, that's an easy way to get a lot of healthy nutrients in and Mm -hmm. do it in, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And if you're on the go, boom, you can take it with you. And if I'm home, I try to do that a few times a day. It's very difficult scientifically, you know, uh, not in an empiric way or anecdotally, but to demonstrate that that kind of a change that you did in in your eating habits how that can lead to a less risk of autoimmunity right that that's super hard to prove scientifically but there's certainly some hints about that and especially red meat particularly um, has been linked to inflammation increased risk of cancer in fact increased risk of diabetes it's surprising to many people because how can you, you know, red meat is protein, doesn't have any carbs because people immediately associate necessarily just carbs to diabetes, which, I mean, for a right reason. But turns out red meat increases significantly, it might increase significantly inflammation, inflammation. which which inflammation leads to insulin. It's, a, it's one other factor yes. that can increase the risk of insulin resistance. So that's a, that's a pathway. It, again, it's not the only one, you know. Um, doctors were used to to know that things happen for more than one reason but in the community sometimes people hold on to just one thing thinking right. that's the thing that is going to right. it isn't like that but certainly it's one of the factors so that's that's sort of the explanation as to how how red meat can lead to diabetes that way mm-hmm. and so your changes the ones you did i am assuming that they make you feel better right Oh yeah. Energy, like so many things like clarity. The the one. Yes. Oh yeah. No, I haven't had any of that since I stopped eating any animal products or just incorporating also just incorporating a ton of vegetables. I wasn't a big vegetable eater. So doing a lot of that more raw, less cooked of the vegetables even. So like I haven't had any rashes, any, none of that in three years. So you You have to sleep more then. Sleep (laughs) is my biggest thing. Yes. Well, sleep (laughs) is the third pillar. You know, uh, it's uh, the the eating habits, the exercise, very important. And then sleep. We tend to ignore sleep, but unfortunately we're sleep deprived in general. And that, yes, there is definitely an association between Shift, for example, this is being shown in shift workers, people who, who work shifts, right? Who yeah. 
where whose circadian rhythm is messed up. And used in the school, I used to be up at two in the morning. There you go. Terrible. Well, when when you do that, then there is some evidence of that increasing the risk of insulin resistance and diabetes and in the future mm. and, and, and that sort of thing. So it's it's definitely complex. This is not easy. This is not a yeah. one shot type of thing. But uh, I think the main message is this is again a a loop of that feeds itself. But don't try to use it as the excuse as to why I am having this and that and the other. Right. It has to be seen as cause and effect at the same time. And the reversal of that, you cannot modify your genes. That, that you cannot modify. That you were born with it or whatever. But, but the lifestyle is the most important tool to do that. Now, the drugs we discussed, the, in certain contexts, they can be used. But I don't, I would not, I, they're second to, to the lifestyle modification, yeah. Awesome. I love your explanation of this because it makes it so clear and easy to understand. I always like to leave on a health tip note, something actionable, and it can be something that you do in your everyday that just makes you feel good. Maybe it helps you sleep more. Maybe it helps you get out the door with healthy food, whatever that thing is that you're like, Hey, I have to do this every day or most days to show up as my best self. What's, what is that health tip? Well, Everybody is in a different stage of their lives. You know, in my stage, in my life, at my age, because I'm sure it's not the same for you. It wouldn't do the same for you, young and so on, but um, walk. So started for a while. Again, like I said, everybody has their own story and whatnot. But uh, I, I, during the pandemic, I became um, sedentary. Uh, for more than one reason and so on. And it started feeling really bad and so on. Eventually started walking, fast-paced walking, um, minimum of 150 minutes a week of fast-paced walking. And right there, that started making me feel better. Very easy, very simple. You don't need to be exposed to COVID. You don't need to be in a gym. You don't need to you, you walk outside and then you start walking. It helps to make you feel better both in the body and the mind. Uh, and it certainly is known to, 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 um, to improve things. Now, as you, again, like I said, maybe it's me because in my stage, maybe for somebody young and whatnot, that's not enough. They may need to incorporate all the kinds of exercise and so on. But in addition to the healthy lifestyle tips that you made, because I don't want to re be redundant, that's, I think that's phenomenal what you did. It's, it's exactly what you're supposed to do to, to live a healthier life. But in addition to that, moving, exercise, which you don't have to become Michael Phelps, you know, overnight. You just start walking, start moving, because we mm -hmm. don't do that enough. And remember what we said at the beginning. Our body was not designed to do what we do every day. It was designed to move, and we don't. <laughs> so mm -hmm. get moving, and that, that would be a, an important tip, yeah. Get moving. Perfect way to end on a great note this episode. Thank you so much, Dr. DeSantis. Um, let, let everyone know. I know we have all the Baptist Health social media channels that we'll definitely link below, but is there any other way that people can reach out or find you? Any other thing that we you want to share so that people can learn more about you? Uh, I think 
through the uh, through the um, links and stuff that you you may have, I think that's that's uh, that's enough. I um, there, there I'm sure there are the phone numbers there and everything uh, listed. Um, that that's it. I only work in Baptist, so that if you Google Baptist, that it's going to be there. Awesome, sounds good. All right, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me. No, very well. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm very thankful to you to make me participate in your podcast. Very interesting. I hope you learned as much as I did about insulin resistance, what it means for your health, how it's related to weight gain, and really how important our lifestyle decisions are when it comes to our health. So again, those three pillars that Dr. DeSantis mentioned, exercise, eating healthy, and sleep. Keep those in mind and make sure you learn more about Baptist Health and Dr. DeSantis down below in the show notes. And hey, stay connected with me if you aren't already, because I'd love to stay connected with you. You can find me all the places, but specifically, I'd love it if you subscribe on YouTube and connect with me on LinkedIn, because I'd hate for you to miss out. We come back every other week with new episodes. So until I see you in two weeks, because I know I'll see you then, stay happy, stay healthy.